Open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, uh, continuing a series we began last week on uh, the basics of discipleship. And so through this series, we will consider four foundational truths that we should know and believe and four foundational truths we should obey. Last week, we spent time looking at the truth that we are saved by grace alone and that grace alone is through faith alone in Christ alone. And so to trust in salvation through any other method or means is not true salvation and only through Christ and by the grace of God alone. Uh, And so we want us as a church, as disciples, as followers of Jesus to not just know these truths, but to embrace them, like know them and believe them in such a way that they, they have an impact on not just a confidence that we have for eternity, but a confidence that we have for right now. And so we're saved by grace alone. Uh, today, we, from Romans chapter 6 and other passages, we'll look, we'll look at the truth that we are made new in Christ. For the person who is redeemed, that person is made new in Christ. And so, in Romans chapter 6, uh, Paul comes and answers kind of uh, an, an objection that would arise naturally out of a heavy emphasis upon salvation by grace alone. Um, and that, that objection would be that, well, if it's all by grace, then works don't really matter. And how we live doesn't really matter. And if grace abounds in the midst of sin, if you look at chapter 5, what Paul writes there, if grace abounds in the midst of sin, well then, why really worry about sin? Just go ahead and get after it. Because the more you sin, the more grace you receive. And Paul had had opponents here that he's addressing when he comes to chapter 6 that were worried about this hyper-grace perspective. And maybe this hyper-grace perspective is going to actually encourage people towards sin. And so Paul's answer to these critics is that God's grace not only forgives sin, but actually delivers us from sin. Sets us free from sin. And so as he'll teach from chapter 6 and following, works actually matter, but the reason why we work for Christ matters more. And so we don't obey God and we don't work for God just to earn God's favor. Actually, the opposite is true. We have God's favor. And so therefore, we should obey God. We should work for God. It's not that we are earning new life. It's that new life has actually been given to us. And so we live with this new life. And so when God saved you, for those of us, those who are Christians, when God saved you, the Bible teaches that he made you a new creation. You're no longer who you once were. And this is not a renovation or a remodel project. In some of my personal business world, I do a lot of renovation, remodel work. And in the renovation perspective, you go in and you kind of look at a structure, a house, and you see colors and walls and fixtures and all these kinds of things. And you say, okay, this is what we have to work with. How can we make this look better? How can we improve this? How we how can we take what we have, this subject matter at hand, this home, and make this home more appealing, more modern, whatever the case may be? That's a renovation project, a remodeling project. That's not at all what God does with us in Christ. This is not a renovation or a remodeling project. This is an absolute new creation, according to what Scripture teaches us. So what it, what was once true of us is no longer true of us. Now, just a word to... Uh, those who maybe don't believe today, this the text that we're reading um, applies directly to believers. 
And so what I encourage you to do is to listen to this conversation that we're having and be made new today. Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus and become a new creation today. And so Romans chapter 6, we'll read verses 1 through 14. Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then in light of this argument that, well, let's let sin go ahead so that grace can go ahead? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Father in heaven, Lord, we approach these words of Scripture, Lord, with much humility, understanding, aware of our need. Lord, for me, as I preach, for us as we hear, Lord, our need for you to communicate the living word to us through the written word. And Father, I pray, Lord, as a result of the singing of your word and the preaching of your word, that, Lord, if somebody here doesn't know you, that you never have believed on Christ, or think they do but really don't, Lord, that you would save them today. Lord, you would make them new. Lord, for those of us who are saved, remind us of the the beauty of being a new creation. Lord, encourage us, teach us, convict us, remind us. We pray it in Jesus' good name. Amen. We start with a truth here, and it actually comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, but the, the foundational truth with which we think through what Paul writes here in Romans 6 is that you are a new creation. If you are in Christ, if you are saved, you are a new creation. And this is a key truth for a new believer, for someone who's just young in their faith. But this is also true and essential for an older believer, someone who, who's been living for Jesus and saved by Jesus longer than they can even remember. That you're made new. And as we saw last week, in, in us being made new, we are declared righteous because of the works of Christ. We are new. And so do you realize that you are actually a new creation? This is the way Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so here Paul teaches us in 2 Corinthians 5 that, one, you are no longer who you once were. You were at home in this world. You fit in. You were comfortable in this world. You actually enjoyed sin. And whether you recognize it or not, you were good at it. The one thing that the sinner is good at doing is sin. And... As a result, 
You were dead in this sin, but you are no longer who you once were. You're a new creation. Also, what was once true of you is no longer true of you. What was once true of you is no longer true of you. Neither the accuser nor anyone else, including yourself, has any right or privilege to say anything toward you about who you once were. Because that's no longer who you are. You're a new creation. People say God can't love you because of what you've done and because of who you've been. You say God can't love you. I say God can't love me. But if you're in Christ, you are new. You are new. You are clean. You are fresh. You are you are a new creation. But what does this new creation look like? What does it mean to be this new creation? That brings us to our text in Romans chapter 6. One truth being a new creation means that in Christ we have a new life. In Christ, we have a new life. And in verses 1 through 4, Paul points to this fact that, that there's a new life that happens when someone is in Christ. And there are four questions that he presents with this, with this thought. What shall we say then? Should we continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can he who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? And so Paul's response to this, to this accusation of, well, if you if you place too much of an emphasis on grace, then people just aren't going to live the right way. Paul's response is, don't be a moron. Because for the person who really understands grace, that person is going to understand that there is a right way of living, and it's because that person has a new life. He put it this way in Galatians 5.13, you were called for free, to freedom, brothers, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And so this view of of keep sinning so you can get more grace or don't worry about sin because you have grace actually reflects a terrible misunderstanding about salvation. And so for the person who says, well, it's not that big of a deal, there's grace there for me, really doesn't understand grace and really doesn't understand salvation, doesn't understand this new life. If you're a new creation, you have new life. And if you notice all the actions in, in the first part of our text, really all the way through verse 10, they're passive on our part. This is all work that God is doing here. So if you look at verse, verse three, do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? So someone else is doing the action here. Verse four, we were buried therefore with him so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. So someone else is the active agent here. And the understanding is that God is the one who's doing this work. God is the one who's doing this work. And God is doing this work all the way through our salvation. And so in verse 3, with thinking about this new life, Paul teaches us that our old self is dead because of the work of the cross. Our old self is dead because of the work of the cross. Verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So he brings in this picture of baptism. Of baptism. And when someone declares their faith in Christ through baptism, we see a picture of what happens when the person repents and believes on the Lord Jesus. It's a physical demonstration of a spiritual reality. It gives physical evidence. It's a true profession of faith, if you're familiar with that language. It's a true physical evidence that one belongs to Jesus and has been united with Christ. And so when we're baptized, we're showing that we are dead to sin and we are alive to God. We are identifying with Jesus. And so to use use Paul, Paul's language here in verses three and four, there are three aspects of this baptism that we have to we have to understand as we think about this in new life. One is death. Death. Do you not realize that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And so when when you think when you think baptism and, and kind of 
a typical Western mindset, it's a very gentle, enjoyable experience. It's Everybody's just encouraged and uplifted, and rightly so, because we're seeing that this person is giving credible confession to the fact that they've been made new in Christ. But the picture that baptism is painting is actually a very violent picture. It's, it's a picture of death. And so when... When we, when we think of gentleness and, and maybe inspiration, it actually means death, death to a whole way of life. The former life is now dead. And so Christians are people who have died. And when we baptize someone, we're giving evidence to the fact that this person is no longer who they were. And it's not just because they stopped being who they were. It's because they're dead. That person is dead. So there's death, but then also burial. Verse 4, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Burial, the old sinful self is put into the grave. And so if someone's going to be baptized this morning, someone like me or somebody else is going to immerse them into the water, lower them down into the water, painting a a physical picture of a spiritual reality that that person is being buried into the death of Christ. They're declaring their old self is dead and being buried into Christ. The old sinful self is put in the grave. And when when you lower someone into the water in baptism, that picture is a picture of finality. It's a picture of closure and, and completeness. And so the old sinful self is put in the grave. And then Paul goes on in verse four that in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father, we too might walk in the newness of life. There's also resurrection. And so thankfully, we don't leave the person immersed into the water for an uncomfortable amount of time. We bring them out of the water. And the visible demonstration is they look really different than they did before they got into the water. Right. And the picture that we have standing before us as we observe someone being baptized is that of death, burial, resurrection, showing that one life has ceased and another life has begun. Don't worry about our birds. They're just hanging out. listening to the sermon this morning. All right. Go ahead and. Draw attention to the obvious so we can all just, oh, yeah, I hear them now. And we can keep moving. All right. You can either preach against it or you can address it and keep going. So that's what we're going to do. So Paul's point here is that how can you continue in sin if you're dead to sin? That's verse four. We're buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. How can you continue in sin if you're dead to sin? And so we the old self is dead because of the work of the cross. And then verse four, we have new life because of. The resurrection. And so typically this passage is the one that we read whenever someone is baptized. And so me or someone else will say something oftentimes when when we're baptizing someone upon your confession of Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, bearing you into the death of Christ. And then we bring him out. We say something like and raising you to walk, raised to walk in the newness of life. That comes right from Romans chapter six, verse four, because whenever we become a new creation, We don't become a better life. We don't become a renovated or remodeled life. We become a new life. And it's because of the resurrection. So our old self dies because of the cross. Our new self is created because of the resurrection. The old has passed away. The new has come. Colossians 3, 3. You have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so just as Christ was raised to the glory of the Father, so are we. And so uh, this new life comes because of the work of Christ. And so the question that that verses one through four elicit before us is. Do you have that this new life? Have you been made new? Have you been made new by Christ? 
and therefore have this new life. And so number one, in Christ we have a new life. Secondly, in Christ we have a new master. In Christ we have a new master. It's not just that we have a new life, we also have a new master. So you go to to verse 5 and Paul says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, and the implication here is that yes, we have been, then we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And the Christian is in union with Jesus. We are united with Christ in his death. We are united with Christ in his resurrection. We have this close communion with our master. He put it this way in 2 Timothy 2.11. If we died with him, we shall also live with him. So as we have this new master, we find in verse 6 that we no longer belong to sin. We no longer belong to sin. Look at verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. You no longer belong to sin. You have a new master. Before God saved you, sin was your master. Once God saves you, Christ becomes your master. Now, there are three phrases here in verse 6 that, that Paul uses. One, our old self was crucified with him. Secondly, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Thirdly, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Let's think briefly about all three of these phrases. Verse 6, a key verse in this text. One, our old self was crucified with him. When he uses the word crucified here, he's pointing to a definitive action that has occurred. And so the, 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 the verb that he uses here conveys the thought that the old self is no longer reigning supreme. That person is crucified. That aspect is crucified. Your old self was crucified. Now we know as Christians, our capacity to sin didn't die. We still have capacity to sin. We still have temptation towards sin, which we'll talk about in, in another week or two. But our mastery from sin is over. Sin is no longer our master. We know this capacity is still present. That's why he's going to say in verse 13, don't present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But we were identified by sin. Now we're identified by Christ. And so before Christ, we are seen as in sin. After Christ, we are seen as in Christ. Our old self was crucified with him. Listen, I don't know. I know some of your stories. I don't know all the stories and all the details of all the stories that that brought you to the point of conversion and even brings you to the point that you are today. But if you are saved, if you are redeemed by Christ, you are no longer who you once were. You're not. Because you have a new life. And you have a new master. Sin has no dominion over you. Our old self was crucified with him. Next phrase, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. The body and the power of sin are rendered powerless for the believer. The body of sin, that, that body which so easily responds to these impulses. And so the work of the cross and our death to sin renders sin powerless over us. Sin has no dominion over us. Third phrase in verse 6, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Now listen, if you're not saved, this is where you are. You are a slave to sin. You might be religious as a day is long. But if you've not repented and believed on the Lord Jesus, you're a slave to sin. You just might be a really good looking slave to sin. Right? You might have the works of righteousness on the outside. But on the inside, it's all sinful slavery. And so we know we would no longer be enslaved to sin. 
In our natural state before Christ, we sinned because we actually had to sin. In our, in our state before we were converted, we sinned because we had to sin. What does the sinner do really, really well? Sins. What does the sinner do really, really well? What are they exceptional at doing? Sinning. Sinners, go figure. Sinners are really good at sinning. And so in our natural state before Christ, we sinned because we had to sin. We were slaves to sin, the Bible teaches us. But when we're converted, when we're redeemed by Christ, no longer. No longer. We're no longer slaves to sin. You once belonged to your former master, sin, but now you have a new master. And so this, as one writer put it, a freed slave can stand directly in the presence of his or her former master, look the master in the eye, and ignore every command. You don't have to listen to sin. Sin is no longer your master. And so we know that our old self is no longer who we are. Look at verse 6. Paul says, we know that our old self was crucified. We are convinced of this. We are resolute on this truth. Our old self is no longer who we once, who we are. You no longer belong to sin. Therefore, verse 7, you no longer have to do what you once did. Verse 7, for one who has died has been set free from sin. If you've died to sin, you're free from sin. Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So he who died to sin, it doesn't mean we no longer sin. It means we're no longer under the power and eternal effects of sin. And so we read like Ephesians 4.22, Paul says, put off the old self because you can. Put off the works of the flesh because you can. In Colossians 3, 9, you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. So in, let's think about this for just a moment. Because this, this is a, a basic biblical truth for the Christian that we think far too lightly of. In what way or what ways are we free from sin? In what way or what ways are we free from sin? One, we are free from the penalty and the power of sin. Christ absorbed our penalty for sin in his work on the cross. So the penalty that was due us was applied to Christ. We talked about that last week. So Christ has absorbed our penalty for sin. But also, we are free from the power of sin. That's not our master anymore. And so anytime we we submit to sin, we submit to sin voluntarily. We submit to sin because we want to, not because we have to. And so we're free from the penalty and the power of sin. Also, we are free from the guilt and shame of sin. We are free from the guilt and shame of sin. Far too many Christians are held captive by guilt and shame. By guilt and shame. As if some, for some reason, in some way, the work of Christ wasn't quite enough to cover all of my sin. It was enough to cover his sin or her sin, but man, mine was just at another level. But no, 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 no. No, you're free from sin. You're free from sin. And so for us, there's no room for guilt and there's no room for shame. There's no room for guilt and shame before one another. And there's no room for guilt and shame before God. Because we are accepted in the beloved on the merits and the work of Christ. And so guilt and shame are removed for from us. So we are free from sin. And so those who have identified with the death and the resurrection of Christ, they still have the, the potential for sin, yes, but no longer the obligation to sin because we have a new master, the Lord Jesus. And so to illustrate this truth, Paul goes into the statement that 
if you want evidence that what I'm saying is true, look at Christ, verse 8. Look at verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you want to, you want evidence, you want proof that, that what I'm saying is true is what Paul says, look to Christ. Look to his work of the death and, and the resurrection. And then he comes in verse 11 and tells the church at Rome, tells the church at Redeemer, believe this. You must believe this. Look at verse 11. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What's Paul pointing to here? Faith. Belief. You must consider yourselves dead to sin. An older translation uses the word reckon. You must reckon yourself dead to, yourselves dead to sin. And interestingly, this is the first imperative command that Paul gets to in the whole book of Romans. So if you read through Romans 1.1 up to Romans 6.10, you've not gotten yet a, an imperative command. You've not gotten to a, you need to do this statement. He's just been teaching. He's just been laying out doctrine. And the first imperative command he gets to is verse 11. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. There's a command here that must be obeyed, a command to believe. And so we must believe this truth completely and we must believe this truth continually. Believe this truth completely. Reckoning is or considering ourselves is not just claiming a promise, but we're actually acting on this fact. God doesn't just command us to become dead to sin. He tells us that we are dead to sin. Notice the difference. God doesn't say, make yourselves dead to sin. No, because we can't. We're already dead there. But he says, consider yourselves dead to sin. This isn't. This isn't an action we're supposed to do. This is a belief we're supposed to hold. He tells us we are dead to sin and alive to God and then commands us to act on it. And the nature of truth, even if we don't act on this truth, it's no less truth. The facts are still true. And so we must believe what God says in his word is true for our lives. This is not necessarily just a feeling, just an emotion, just a thought or an inclination. This is belief. We must believe this truth completely. Do you truly believe that you are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus? Do you truly believe that sin does not have dominion over you? Do you truly believe that sin is no longer your master? We must believe this truth completely. Also, we must believe this truth continually. The language that Paul uses here is that this is not just a one moment in time, like justification, like we looked at last week. This is a continual reality for the Christian. We must believe this truth continually. The present tense here points to this continuing process. This goes on throughout the Christian life. This is part and parcel with us constantly preaching the gospel to ourselves. Preaching the gospel to ourselves, reminding ourselves that in Christ, no, 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 we are dead to sin. And so when we're tempted to sin, what do we do? We remember we are actually dead to sin and we're alive to God. He has made us new. 
And so just think about just, just the imagery that, that Paul's using here. A lot of language about death and burial. And play out this, this word picture that he's painting here in, at the beginning of Romans chapter 6. When we as Christians, when those of us who have been declared dead to sin and alive to God in Christ, when we choose to sin, we're doing the spiritual equivalent of digging a corpse out of the grave. Like there's a corpse that's been placed in a grave and you've been to funerals just like I've been to funerals. At some point, a body is placed in the ground and it's covered and you leave it. There's nothing more that's done. Paul says, no, you have to consider yourselves dead to sin. That way of life is is over for you. But when you go back to sin, it's the spiritual equivalent of digging this corpse out of the grave, which like we just think just practically, you know, if somebody goes goes and digs a corpse out of the grave. It's just like, oh, that's that's grotesque. That's that's repulsive. That's disgusting. It's offensive because it is. Because which is exactly how we would describe us going back to sin. And we've been saved from sin. We've been set free from sin. We've been made new in Christ. We have a new life. Sin's not our master. We don't have to go dig sin back out of the grave. And so when we face the, the, the reality of sin in our lives, our response should be that of revulsion. We should, when we sin, we should be repulsed by our own action because, oh no, we've tasted the goodness of grace. And in contrast, everything else is Death that comes out of the grave. And so we must believe this truth completely and continually. When we were made new in Christ, we are no longer slaves to sin. Before Christ, before Christ, we sinned because we had to. Now, when we sin, we sin because we want to. We are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So in Christ, we have a new life. In Christ, we have a new life. In Christ... We have a new master. Sin is no longer our master. Christ is our master. And number three, in Christ, we have a new desire. In Christ, we have a new desire. Verses 12, 13, and 14 are our application of the truth that Paul teaches in verses 1 through 11. And since we are free from sin, we actually can yield to God and honor God. And so he gives us first a command to obey and then a promise to believe. Look at verse 12, this command to obey. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Here's the deal. We have this new desire and now... Because we've been made new, if you're saved, because we've been made new, we now love Jesus more than we love sin. We have new life. We have a new master. We have this new desire. We love Christ more than we love sin. Now, our experience points to the fact that sin is still present. Don't we still wrestle with sin? Right. He he who says he's without sin is calling God a liar. And so we still wrestle with sin. And so we read in various parts of the New Testament that we still have this advocate with the Father. We can confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us for our sins. And so when we, we, we still wrestle with sin, the difference is that sin is no longer our master. We, we don't have to sin. Do, do you realize that? Do we realize this truth? We no longer have to sin. 
We can say no to sin. We can say no to sin. The question is a question of desire. In the moment when I'm faced with temptation, when I'm faced with the opportunity to sin, is my desire in that moment, the temporary gratification that's going to come out of this sin, whatever it may be, or the eternal gratification that comes through Christ alone. The issue is one of desire. And because we're made new, we actually have the desire for Christ. We have the desire for godliness and holiness and righteousness and justice and purity and truth and grace. And God has given us this new desire. We once desired unrighteousness. Now we desire righteousness. Verse 13. Don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought forth from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for unrighteous, for righteousness. We once desired unrighteousness. And we now desire righteousness. What do you desire? Do you desire righteousness? Do you long for righteousness to permeate every aspect of your being? Your actions, your thoughts, your intents. Do you want, do you want your life to be more characterized by righteousness than anything else? Not being made right, not being known as being right. But righteousness, Christ exalting, God honoring type righteousness. Do you desire this righteousness? And so there's a command here to obey. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. The Christian, the Christian should declare war on sin in his or her life. I should declare war on sin. And here's the deal. I can fight that war in Christ and win it every time. Because of Christ. To say I can't, I can't defeat this sin is to say Jesus can't defeat this sin. You, you follow the logic. Do you, whatever, you're, you're, there's a sin that so easily entangles you, to use Hebrews language, and for you to say, not just I can't, there's this one, I just can't get over this one. I guess this is just my lot in life. This is gonna be my stumbling block here and forevermore until the Lord just takes it all away. Is to make a mockery of what Christ did on the cross. Right. The problem is not that we don't have the power to overcome this sin. The problem is that we desire the gratification that's going to come from this sin more than we desire Jesus. And so for us to to bring the way we believe this truth to center really impacts the way that we're going to fight sin. And we're not going to fight sin because we want to gain victory over sin. We're actually going to fight sin because we already have victory over this sin. Look, if you tell me, hey, you're going to go and fight that dude, and by the way, you're going to win, I'm going to be more inclined to go and fight that dude than if I'm going in there and I'm fighting this dude with a little uncertainty on whether we're going to, whether I'm going to win or not. Like, if if the match is rigged, sign me up. Put me in the ring. I'll do it. But if there's uncertainty, hmm, I don't really like the idea of somebody punching me in the face. But if I know going into it, victory is assured then it makes good sense for us to fight sin. And so the question is one of desire. Paul says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. The way we wage war with sin in our lives matters. And how we, how you and I tolerate sin in our lives matters. And so you may be of the inclination to just kind of stay away from the, the big five sins, the big three sins, I, I, just as long as I don't do this one, this one, this one, this one, or this one, I can kind of tolerate some of these other ones. The question has to be one of desire. Why is that okay? Well, it's okay because your desire for those lesser sins 
is greater than your desire for Christ. God gives us this new desire. And the reason why we are repulsed by sin as Christians, the reason why after we act on sin, after we sin, there's a spiritual revulsion that happens within us. It's just like you can explain it in a lot of different ways. We just feel disgusting. We feel we feel filthy, just all these. kind. The reason why is because God has put within us a desire for Christ and a desire for righteousness. And you take holiness and put it in the same dwelling place with unrighteousness. And there's going to be revulsion. And so there's a command here to obey. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. And you can obey that command because you are made new in Christ. I can obey Romans 6, 12 because I have been made new in Christ. And in the power that Christ gives me, I can obey this command. The power that Christ gives you, you can obey this command. In Christ, we have this new desire. So there's a command here to obey. In the last verse, verse 14, there's also a promise to believe. There's a promise to believe. Look at verse 14. Man, what a way to sign off on this section here from the Apostle Paul. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Sin will have no dominion over you. In verse 6, Paul said the body of sin might be brought to nothing. In verse 11, he says, consider yourselves dead to sin. And then verse 14, he comes and says, sin will have no dominion over you. Why? Brother, sister. Why will sin have no dominion over you? Because Christ destroyed the power of sin. And so it has no dominion over you. In Christ, God gives you a new desire. And he gives you a desire for righteousness and for holiness. And when a Christian sins, when we sin, you know what we're doing? It's it's actually the true essence of hypocrisy. When a Christian sins, we're acting in a way that's contrary to who we actually are. We're acting in a way that's contrary to who we actually are. And so verse 14 gives us encouragement. It challenges us and reminds us sin will have no dominion over you. Since you're not under law, but under grace. So how about you? Have you actually been made new in Christ? If you haven't been made new in Christ, none of this applies to you. But if this is truth to which you seem to desire toward, then the inclination is God's calling you to himself and you need to repent and believe and be made new. Let the old pass away. Let God bring the new. You need to be made a new creation. And church... Brothers and sisters, as we are made new creations in Christ, we're constantly being made new creations in Christ. He justifies us and reminds us constantly over and over again. We are made new. So maybe you struggle with some type of sinful past before you came to Jesus. You're new. What was once true of you is no longer true of you. You are free. You are free. The old you is not you. Christ took care of the old you. And his atoning death was sufficient for you to be made new. That's not who you are anymore. What about now? Are you struggling with not not a sinful past so much maybe? 
But what about a sinful present? As a Christian, you find yourself entrenched in sin. What do you need to do? Preach the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself of the work of Christ on the cross. That was sufficient for you to walk in freedom, not just be declared free, but to also walk in freedom. You are new. You've been given a new life. Live like you have this new life. You have a new master. Sin has no dominion over you. You are not under law. You're under grace. You have a new master. Your master is the, love, is the Lord Jesus. The one who get, loves you and gave himself for you. And because you have this new master and this new life, you have a new desire. And the very fact that you're repulsed by sin dwelling in your life as a Christian points to the truth that God has given you his desire. His desire. And in giving you his desire, he's also given you the capability and the capacity to fight sin. To fight sin and to win the war with sin. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If, this is a conditional statement, this doesn't apply to everyone, it only applies to those who are in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Not he will be. Not he will become. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. That's not who you are anymore. That's not who I am anymore. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Second Corinthians 5.17. Memorize this verse. Meditate on this verse. You have a new life. You have a new master. You have a new desire. So have you been made new? If you haven't, then sin is still your master. You're a slave to sin. Just keep sinning. That's what you're going to be good at. If you want to be set free from that sin, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus. And if you have been made new, walk in this newness of life. Walk in the beauty of grace. Walk in the splendor of holiness. And remember, sin is not your master anymore. Sin is no longer your boss, can no longer order you around, can no longer tell you what to do. You have a new master, one who loves you. One who loves you and gave himself for you. And you have a new desire. You have a new desire. We've been made new in Christ. We're going to sing now. And as we sing, I encourage, I encourage you to Reflect on the truth that you've been made new in Christ. And you're free to. I'm going to ask everybody to stand in just a minute, but you're free to stay seated and just ponder these truths. You're free to kneel where you are and pray. If there's if you're a Christian and there's sin that you're wrestling with and you're just in a point of desperation and you want to call out to God for in repentance and ask him to forgive you of this sin. Well, then pursue victory and pursue freedom. If you need to be made new, repent and believe. Repent of your sin. Confess your sin to the Lord. Ask Him to forgive you of that sin. And confess your belief on Him. Let's stand and then we'll pray and sing together.
Holy Father, Lord, we we are only worthy of remaining in our sin. Lord, we are only worthy of staying in this old life. And Lord, in your kindness and for your glory, Lord, you you call us out of that sin. You make us new in Christ. You apply the work of Christ on the cross to our sin debt. And we're redeemed. Lord, for, for those of us who are saved, <clears throat> Lord, would you remind us of these truths even in the next couple minutes as we sing together. Lord, as we sing, may we sing these truths because we're made new in Christ. Father, we do pray clearly and boldly that if someone doesn't know you, Lord, from whatever background that might be, Lord, we ask that you would save them. You would lead them to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that sin no longer has dominion over us because we're not under law, we're under grace. We are made new in Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen.